Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Oblivion Spin Presents. I'm your host, Eric, and we are continuing on the third episode of The Eagle Today. In the last episode, we met James's assistant, Maury, and had some conversations with her. James also comforted Ren on the surface as they buried Luna. Without further ado, let's just get right into James's life. On Saturday, James sat at his desk poring over the papers from the days he had been out of the office. They were written painfully neatly in Maury's handwriting, and for a moment it struck him that, in all likelihood, she was spending her day off as someone completely different than Maury. He hovered his hand over the intercom on his desk and considered having Dante call her in. Restless. He felt restless. Especially after how dramatic and anticlimactic the last few days had been. He did not die. Wren was fine. Maury handled everything perfectly. He reached into his pocket for his flask before remembering Wren had taken it. James drummed his fingers against his desk and finished reading through the paperwork. After some time, he decided that the least he could do was pay Lexington a visit. James entered the room of the infirmary where Lexington was staying without knocking. Lexington was strapped down to his hospital bed. His foot was bandaged as was his jaw. He whimpered when he saw James. She really did fuck up your jaw. James picked up the chart at the end of the bed and flipped through it. I cannot say you did not deserve that. I know she would have been happy to fillet you if Ren would have let her. He stood next to the bed and looked down at Lexington. You might think that sounds like a quick death like you gave Luna, but Maury can make it take a long time. There are a surprising amount of things you can slice into without killing someone. Lexington tried to speak, but could hardly mumble without wincing. I talked to Ren about that. Just because you're not going to die does not mean you're going to have a good time of it. James patted Lexington on the shoulder. You know, Lex, I gave you a lot of advice in the months you worked for me, but there was only one thing you really needed to take to heart. James laughed. Do not fuck with Wren. He stopped laughing abruptly and socked Lexington in the jaw. Lexington screamed as well as he could with his jaw wired shut. James felt somewhat better about his day. He left Lexington and walked down the corridor until he reached the nurse's station. Sorry, man, but when you get a chance, could you go check on Steele? His jaw seems to be hurting him. The nurse glared at James. With all due respect, Mr. Porter, I just got that set. I know, and I promise I'll leave him be for a while so you don't have to redo your work, but it was a very long time coming. Now punch him all you want. I just remembered I have a new intern that needs a practice. James smiled and gestured broadly. Perfect. How is everything running down here, anyway? Perfectly fine, sir. Thanks for asking. Miss Morey took care of a few of the requests we had. Very good. James turned and walked back down the corridors towards his office. It seemed that Morey really had taken care of everything. All that was left was to dig up anything he could on Dr. Gavin. James returned to his office and dug through his inbox to find the files Ren had sent over. They were polled, officially, as part of the investigation of Luna's death. Wren had made a fairly compelling case about Lexington having possibly been driven to insanity, even if that did not seem to absolve him of blame in Wren's eyes. James mumbled to himself. Of course, he thinks insanity is something you just control with discipline. He fingered through the files, but did not see the one on Gavin. He flipped through a second and a third time. The files had been delivered to him yesterday, and most certainly had contained the file on Gavin at the time. He knew this because he had already read it. James looked around his office for a moment until his eyes rested on the tea canister. 
He had not seen Maury since Thursday night and suspected that he suddenly had a good reason to call her. He decided to take a stroll to the front desk first, as she did not take accusations, even correct ones, very kindly. James leaned over the counter and drummed his fingers against Dante's desk. Dante looked up from his papers. Dante was in his early twenties. He had been in corrections as an administrative secretary for three years, and while James could not argue that he did well at his job, he was disappointed when he had declined to transfer to a management position in enforcing, and was fairly certain Dante had only elected to stay in corrections to spite him. His assignment to delinquency could not expire soon enough. May I help you, Mr. Porter? Maury Bennett at all? It is her weekend, and she covered several days for you this week. Were you really expecting her? You know damn well she comes and goes as she pleases. I was just wondering if she'd been by. Dante looked back down at his papers. Coming by the front desk is not exactly her style. She generally takes the back corridors. Dante seemed to be weighing how helpful he wanted to be at the moment. I would ask Damien if he had seen her. He would know. Why would Damien know? Damien may be a little too interested in Maury's comings and goings. Do not be surprised if his body turns up in a few extra pieces. Right, thanks. James took a few steps away from the desk. Wait, Porter, did Maury tell you about Teller's brother? James turned back and frowned. Teller does not ring a bell. The gentleman you incapacitated at the bar earlier this week. Oh yeah, she told me. Dante looked over at the guards. The full version or the Maury story? James grimaced. Maury did not exactly lie, but she had a tendency to abridge stories to the point of missing somewhat relevant details. He was not sure if she knew they called them Maury stories, but he imagined if she did, she was not fond of the term. What actually happened? Dante neatened his papers against his desk before setting them down, folding his arms, and looking up at James. He came in, rather politely asking to speak to you. Ollie, not realizing you're not in the office, escorted him back. When he saw Maury there, he demanded to see you and started raving angrily. Rogers interrupted. She threw a knife at him and missed. Dante looked back at Rogers. She grazed his face. She did not miss. She never misses. They both looked at James and waited for him to settle in. Dante's right. She never misses. Dante looked back at Rogers smugly. Ollie poked his head out into the room. Are we talking about Thursday? Dante waved him out. Yes, come tell Mr. Porter what happened. All right, well, she threw a knife at a man and certainly did not miss because as his face started to ooze a thin strip of blood, she said, There, now I'll remember to kill you next time you piss me off. If you keep talking, it'll be today. The man mumbled something to himself and let me escort him out. Ollie looked to Rogers and Dante before looking at James. It was frankly unsettling. James took a deep breath. Well, that is why I hired her, boys. Anything else? Dante thought for a moment. No, that was all the excitement around here besides Ren stopping by in the morning, but I trust you already know about that. James walked around the edge corridors until he reached Damien's office. Damien annoyed James, but he did good work. He kept the lights on and the faucets all working properly, along with his little team of maintenance men. James rapped on his door before letting himself in. Damien leapt to his feet and saluted James. Afternoon, Mr. Porter, what can I do for you? Relax. James gestured him to put his hand down. I was just wondering if you had seen Maury at all since Thursday. James glanced around the office while he spoke. 
On the far wall was a target with many kitchen knives on the floor. There was one hole in the center of the target. As a matter of fact, she stopped by yesterday afternoon when you were out for lunch. I saw her leaving in the back hallway with a file folder. She must have forgotten something. She seemed to be in a rush to get back out. Must have. Thanks, Damien. Is everything all right? Fine, fine. James gestured towards the target. Did you manage to hit your mark there? Nope. Damien shook his head. Miss Mori gave me a demonstration recently. She said I just need to keep practicing. She was nice to you? Oh, sure, she's the sweetest person. Mori is? We're talking about the same Mori, right? Sure, she just takes some warming up. It suddenly occurred to James that Damien had access to the vast majority of the keys for corrections in the surrounding area. Why would Mori bother to pick locks when she could just feign enthusiasm and get her own skeleton key? He smiled when she thought of the word skeleton. He was sure she would like that. Do you need anything else, Mr. Porter? No, that was all. Thank you, Damien. James nodded and left Damien's office. He walked quickly and began tapping in Maury's number on his chest communicator before he got all the way back to his office. She did not pick up. He tried again. She still did not pick up. He paced around his office for a moment, fidgeting before he tried a third time. The vice clicked on and Maury's voice came through very small. If you were dead, I would already know about it. Likewise me for you. The device clicked back off. He called her again. It is my day off. Click. And again. Look, fucker, unless this is an emergency, I'm busy. Click. And again. Alright, spit it out. What do you want? Important file stolen off my desk. Do not you dare take that case alone, Maury. James spoke as calmly as possible into the communicator. Little James is frustrated because I did not leave him anything fun to do. Even through the distortion, her voice came through in a sarcastic tone. Listen, Maury. Miss Maury to you, fucker. All right, Miss Maury, please bring the file back into my office. I'm not going to leave you out of it. I was just getting ready to look at it to... Call me when you think of something more interesting. Until then, ciao. Wait. James spoke desperately into the communicator. Waiting. James clenched and released his fists. You're going to be at Ren's thing, right? Seriously, James. A scream came through with the background of the call and followed by a thud with a muffled, Shut the fuck up. Already got my invitation. You'll know if I'm there or not. What was that? What was what? There was another thud. Shit, shit. Are you torturing someone right now? I told you I was busy. That had better not be. There was another scream and before a final thud. It is not. You said subtle on that one. God damn it, Maury. If it is any consolation. There was another thud and a whimper. It is a case I got from Wren, not being a vigilante. I'm too old for that. Wren gave you... When did Wren... When were you talking to Wren? Come back here, fucker. There was a thud and a sputter. Look, lovely chatting with you, but I have two more men to kill over here, and once again the novelty of this conversation has worn off, so ciao. Maury, wait. James spoke after the communicator had already clicked off. He tilted his head back and looked at the ceiling. God fucking damn that woman. He dug into his bottom dress drawer looking for his bottle of whiskey, but it was empty. He was not entirely sure whether to blame himself, Ren, or Maury for that. 
James gathered a few things in his briefcase and locked his office door behind him. James knocked on the door to Ren's apartment. Let yourself in, James. You have a key. James clenched his jaw while he dug out his key and unlocked the door. Ren was sitting at his desk in the far corner of the room with his back to James. He had many papers spread across his desk that he did not look up from. James shut the door behind himself, took off his shoes, and set his briefcase by them. Ren suddenly moved his left arm rapidly over the papers with a pen, stopping off to mark each one in a manner that James knew was precise but certainly looked to be erratic. Ren finally capped his pen and turned to face James. He had a large grin across his face. My apologies. You know how it is when you have very nearly finished working on a project. It would have been torture to just leave it barely undone. Speaking of torture, James raised his eyebrows. Seeing as he did not entirely know the state of the high-stakes case Maury had adopted, he was not entirely sure how to break the news. Wren finally returned his face to a more neutral expression. Is there something the matter that I have not yet heard of? No, no, not at all, James tried to smile. Glad to see you are doing well. Wren picked his cigarette from his case and lit it. A smirk crept across his face and he had to move his hand to hold the cigarette in. He finally pulled the cigarette away and spoke. Do you mean to say you plan to have Maury take care of the case herself, or do you mean to say you had not yet found out that she had dealt with it? I meant to say I would like my flask back, Ren. Is that what you came all the way here to say? I understand it has sentimental value to you, and I tucked it away for safekeeping. Ren stood and turned towards the papers on his desk. I'm quite surprised you're not showing a greater amount of pride in how clever this is. James walked to Ren's desk and looked down at the papers. He frowned. What the? Ren nodded excitedly. She took care of every last detail, ridden with guilt that he had contributed to research that had ruined so many lives he burned all the research on it and killed himself. <laughs> or that is what the evidence perfectly points to. Ren patted James on the back. Brilliantly handled, James. James tried to think of the last time he had seen Ren so outwardly happy. The only thing that came to mind was when he used to see him spending the afternoons with Luna. James smiled half-heartedly. He saw that Ren was wearing the watch he'd gotten to give Luna as an engagement gift, had she said yes. James remembered going with him to pick it out. His heart sank into his stomach. Maury was upset at him because he had given her the pocket knife. He was well aware that there was little he could say to smooth that over, especially if she was not inclined to be around to listen. He was not entirely sure what to make of her threatening Taylor's brother, however. Are you alright? James shook his head. A million miles away, sorry. I wish I could say it was my idea, but Miss Moore took care of the entire thing herself. Absolutely brilliant of her. I wonder what she said to make him crack. Wren gestured to one of the papers on his desk. The suicide note is in his own handwriting. James was suddenly aware he did not want to discuss Maury's merits with Wren. He got himself a glass of water from the kitchen and flopped onto the sofa. You did not tell me you and Maury were well acquainted. Wren sat next to James. I have spoken with her a few times when she was filling in for you in corrections, and I conversed with her again earlier when she informed me of the resolution. It behooves me to be at least partially acquainted with my staff. You're lucky to have someone so talented and competent working for you directly. Please tell me she gave you a few cases when she talked to you, Ren. Ren rubbed the bridge of his nose. His communicator buzzed. Pardon me for a moment. Ren answered the communicator. 
He had finally gotten one of the few that actually seemed to work properly, so James was not able to eavesdrop on the entire conversation. Yes, this is Ren. Do elaborate. Understood. I will be right down to have a look. Ren hung up. James held his hand over his eyes. If I may posit a guess, you came here not to gloat about her performance, but because you just found the file to be missing a few minutes prior. That would be correct. Well. Ren sat quietly for a moment. I'd best be going, then. He looked around the room. I'm sorry, Ren, trust me. I will be having a stern talk with her, and... James could not think of a reasonable repercussion for Mori that he would actually be able to pull off. Ren stood and put his shoes and jacket on. All I can think to say at the moment, James, is that you seem to surround yourself with the most peculiar people. James sat on Ren's sofa and dialed Maury again. She picked up immediately. Hmm? You cannot steal cases from the desk of the Director of Delinquency. You cannot steal cases from my desk either, but you especially cannot steal them from Ren's desk. You are going to get us both fired. Oh, fire me then. He expected the communicator to click off, but it did not. You there, tell me I'm fired or do not. I handled the case as well, and you know it, and you know he knows it. James stared blankly at the wall in front of him. The edges of his vision felt gray. He clicked the communicator off, put on his shoes, grabbed his briefcase, locked the door behind him, and went home. He leaned in just far enough to throw his briefcase in the room before locking the door again and walking to the bar. His communicator buzzed a few times, but he did not answer it. She could run my branch better than I could. She's mad at me. And Ren is having his official ceremony on Monday, and if we had not been friends for years, I would be in corrections right about now. James poured himself the glass. Ren is going to realize Mori is right. She handled everything perfectly, she's going to end up working for Ren, and I'm going to be stuck in a quiet, empty office with no one to talk to except Damien. Maybe he'll move into my office and bring his kitchen knives with. James drank straight from the bottle. Fuck. James looked down at the end of the bar. There was a woman with light red hair at the end of the bar wearing a brown dress. He recognized her as the seamstress Ren always sought out when he took his clothes in to be mended. He put the cap back on the bottle and took it with him as he walked over to her. This seat taken? She glanced up. No, not at all, but I will admit before you get too comfortable, assuming you came over for me, I was just about to leave. Just my luck. She hopped down from a bar stool. Would you like to walk with me for a moment and tell me about it? James smiled. He offered her his arm. She took it before he could feel too silly. I see you here often. You must have a lot of little sorrows to drown. She led him towards the door. I wish I could tell you that you were wrong. His head already felt clearer. Forgive my rudeness. My name is James. Oh, I know who you are, James, she giggled. James Porter of Corrections. You're rather well known around here, besides from the fact I've mended a lot of your shirts. I had hoped then, since you'd taken my arm, maybe you did not recognize me. <laughs> I do not think I've ever run into anyone so thrilled by such a simple gesture. For all you know, I'm quite strange and someone you'd not want to be seen escorting around. I'm certain you cannot be any stranger than the people I usually associate with. What may I call you? Poppy. And I'm very afraid, Mr. James, that this is where we must part for today. 
She let go of his arm. Thank you kindly for the escort. I would walk you the rest of the way if you told me where you were going. I'm afraid I would never hear the end of it. I'm the only single lady in the group I sew with. The rest are all married to officials, and I think I only just convinced them that I'd be out of place attending the celebration on Monday. If they saw me with you, the debate would spark all over again, and you would have a gaggle of housewives near begging you to be my date. Before James could respond that he certainly would not need begging, his communicator started to buzz. He pretended not to hear it. Poppy gestured to his chest. It sounds like you're needed anyhow, Mr. James. Thank you again for the escort, and tell Director Wren when you see him that I have his shirts ready by tomorrow. She waved and walked away. James watched her walk out of sight before he answered his communicator. Your Mori is as brilliant as she is unorthodox. It worked out then? Perfectly. Great. James smiled to himself. You'll be there Monday, then? I'm still invited, am I not? Your shirts will be ready tomorrow, by the way. James mindlessly clicked his communicator off and wandered home. He was not sure if he felt better from the alcohol or from the chatting briefly with Poppy, but he did not entirely care either way. James sat on the stage behind the podium. From his right, there was Elliot, an empty chair for Wren, himself, and an empty chair for Maury, who had apparently deemed the ceremony not worthy of her time. James sat rehearsing excuses for her to have not shown up in case anyone asked and half listened to Wren's speech. Wren was addressing the entirety of delinquency as well as a handful of the general public, and James just recalled over and over again how much he hated being called in on his day off to sit in the audience of these bullshit ceremonies, and how much he still hated being called in on his day off to sit on the stage and take part in them. James could tell Wren was wrapping up and tuned back in. I am honored to be serving as Director of Delinquency with Senior Official First Class Elliot Field's promotion to the head of the entire Department of People. I will be supported by my Head of Corrections, Senior Official Third Class James Porter, and his assistant in absentia, Maury. My replacement as Head of Enforcement is still to be determined, but I have complete faith that my enforcing managers will be able to manage in the meantime. As we know, the death of our previous Director of Delinquency was sudden. James tuned ran out again. He was nowhere near done, and it had been wishful thinking on James's part to believe that he had been wrapping up. The speech was well-received, especially by the members of the division who actually wanted to be there. In corrections, at least, there had been a fair amount of bartering for who could work instead. He was jealous of Maury for a moment that she was not stuck on stage, before remembering that she was likely absent because she was still pissed at him. James realized how many eyes were on him and tried not to look bored for the remainder of the Ren's speech in Elliot's as well. After the ceremony, James was standing by the potted plant in the corner of the room with a glass of champagne. He had been stealthily acquiring refills while Wren mingled around the room and had just enough to start feeling downright pleasant. Wren finally made his way over to James. You are enjoying all this way too much. Wren chuckled. He had been carrying around a nearly full glass of champagne for the last half hour. Discounting the obvious, this has been an exceptionally excellent week. It is hard not to feel jovial, surrounded by good co-workers and friends. James looked out in the crowd at the familiar and many unfamiliar faces. You know, traditionally, the champagne is for drinking, not an accessory. Wren swished his glass. I did not get appointed director of the division by being traditional. That is an understatement. James laughed distractedly. He thought that he had spotted Poppy standing on the other side of the room. 
She was wearing an emerald dress with a cowl around her collar. She stood by herself, looking out into the crowd. Her eyes fixed on James, and she smiled and waved. James held his hand up and waved suddenly back, hoping somewhat that Wren would not notice. Wren did not notice. He perked up suddenly. If you'll excuse me a moment, James, I see someone I was quite hoping to run into tonight. I think I see someone as well. Wren held his drink out to offer it to James, but before James could reach out to take it, Wren hesitated, turned slightly, and dumped the rest of the glass in the soil of a potted plant. Seriously, Wren? Wren pointed at the glass James was holding. Do not think that I did not notice your refills. I'm well aware you do not need my help procuring a drink. James rolled his eyes and did not say anything. Wren nodded his head towards James before shouldering his way through the crowd. James finished his glass of champagne and set it on the table beside him. He started towards Poppy. A hand patted him on the shoulder. James Porter! James turned to the voice. Alex, how have you been? Fine, fine, still in the main office. I was hoping to put in a transfer to work down with you at Corrections. You sure you want in on the madhouse? Seems to be the choice between which flavor of mad you want around here. Ren will make an excellent director, but I quite admired Maury's style. James put his hand to his gut as though he'd been shot there. Fuck, that stings! He laughed. He was acutely aware he had not heard from Maury since he had threatened to fire her. My apologies. I only meant that she's made her mark on the place, sir. None needed. I'm well aware she's made her mark. Grabbed Alex's hand and shook it. You take care and I hope to see you down there. James turned to continue on his path to where he had seen Poppy. He walked as purposely as possible to try to avoid any more small talk to only moderate success. By the time he got to the far side of the room, Poppy had gone. James leaned against the wall and looked out around the room at the many little groups of people. There were round tables set up on one half of the room. He eventually spotted both Wren and Poppy sitting at a table in the far corner next to each other. She had her elbows on the table and her right hand propped under her chin. Wren was leaning towards her and apparently whispering in her ear. James stood for a moment, half behind a potted plant, and watched, scowling to himself. Every so often, Poppy would nod or giggle or cover her mouth. Wren chuckled and fixed his sleeve cuffs. James nodded to himself before walking over to their table. Their conversation and laughter halted immediately when they noticed James. He pulled a chair out across the table from them and sat down. Am I interrupting? As a matter of fact, James, you are most certainly... Not. Poppy tacked onto the end of Wren's sentence. You're certainly not interrupting anything. Wren tilted his head back and forth slightly and smirked but did not argue. James pretended not to notice Wren's annoyance. There was a mostly untouched glass of champagne in front of him. He picked it up and studied it before taking a drink. I'm glad you decided to attend after all, Poppy. You look absolutely gorgeous tonight. Wren cleared his throat. James finished the glass and grabbed a half-empty one from one of the other spots. Not that you are not always gorgeous. Poppy giggled and glanced sideways to Wren. Senior official porter. James looked at him, rolled his eyes, and set the glass down. As your official and director of your division, I expect a certain level of respect when I'm engaging in private conversations. Furthermore, you should know that you're committing a horrible faux pas drinking from abandoned half-full glasses. You are a senior official and head of corrections. I would tell you to have some shame, but perhaps what you need is some pride. James leapt to his feet, stood at attention, and saluted. Yes, sir. He overemphasized the word sir and held still with a smirk on his face. 
Wren stood and offered his arm to Poppy. Perhaps we'd best finish our conversation elsewhere, Miss Dart. She stood, neatened her dress, and accepted Wren's arm. She smiled slightly at James. James started to put his arm down as Wren walked by. Not so fast, Mr. Porter. I did not dismiss you. James returned to saluting and clenched his teeth. Wren watched him for a moment before Poppy tugged at his elbow. Come on, Wren. He's just a little drunk again. I'm well aware. Wren looked out at the rest of the party. The crowd was thinning. You are lucky, Mr. Porter, that I'm graced by Miss Dart's conversation tonight. Otherwise, I would pull up a chair and watch you stand at attention all night. James did not say anything. His face felt flush. At ease, then. James put his hand down and turned to glare at Wren. Wren escorted Poppy out through one of the side doors without as much of a glance back at James. James sat back in his chair and tipped a glass around in circles sulkily. As far as James was concerned, he and Wren had a long-time understanding that Wren did not get to pull rank on James, seeing as Wren only got as far as he did because James kept his mouth shut and did not correct any of the assumptions that Wren had accomplished all his impossible tasks by himself even the ones where James had stood with a gun pulled or called back up or showed up just in time to keep Wren from running out of bullets, all of which, when confronted, Wren dismissed as knowing would happen. James huffed. Good for Wren, James finally thought. Caught up on six years of moving on in half as many days. James was still disgruntled. He turned in his seat to see that only a few groups of people were left. It was nearing twenty-three. He stood to leave and considered briefly going to the bar before deciding enough of his buzz had worn off that he would rather just go home and go to bed. He left through the back door so he did not have to say goodbye to anyone. James's apartment was not too far from Corrections. Few people lived in his block as it was one of the fringe communities, which most people considered less desirable to live in seeing as they were half abandoned and out of the way. He was quite taken with the quiet, and since he had lived there, no one had requested to move near him, which he also liked. James saw a man approaching him walking on the other side of the hallway. He nodded in acknowledgement before returning to his thoughts. At the moment, he was trying to guess how upset Wren was actually going to be about tonight by tomorrow. James did not particularly care, but it was less unpleasant than considering what was going to happen with corrections if... His thoughts were interrupted by a sharp pain in his left side. He turned quickly to see the man pulling a knife away from him. James grabbed his gun from his chest holster and shot the man twice. James stood for a moment frowning before he looked down and realized he had been stabbed in the side. He put his back against the wall and lowered himself to the floor. He bunched the fabric of his dress jacket and held it up against the wound as hard as he could with his right hand and reached for his communicator. The batteries were dead. James started to laugh but stopped himself at the pain. This is it. James Porter, bled to death in the back hallway. He leaned his head against the wall and looked upwards. This sort of shit is why I carry a flask around, Wren. He loosened his several layers of shirts as well as he could with an intent to check how bad the wound really was, but the fact his jacket was already damp from blood answered the question well enough. James shut his eyes. He was not entirely upset about being stabbed. In all likelihood, it had been a long time coming and any more of the world seemed to function better without him anyways. Fuck, 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 fuck. Maury's voice chimed in time with her rapid footsteps until both stopped abruptly in front of James. I was wondering if you would show up to usher me off. Why did you not call for help? 
Dead batteries. James did not open his eyes or look at her, but he let her move his hand away from his wound and felt her packing it with fabric. Do you think you can walk? A stroll sounds perfect. Maury stood on James's right side and helped him up. He held the fabric tight to his wound and leaned into her, stumbling. Where are you taking me? My place. It is not far. James opened his eyes halfway and looked at the ground. He noticed Maury was bare-legged and not wearing her usual uniform. Before he could think to say anything, his vision went very gray. Hey, Maury. His voice crailed off before he could finish his thought. <laughs>